Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Chris Barnes. Chris is a 12-time member of Team USA. He has 18 PBA titles and career earnings just north of $2.2 million. Chris is with 900 Global, and Chris is actually also rehabbing an injury, so I thought it'd be great to bring Chris on to kind of discuss how things are going. So, Chris, Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, glad to do it, Tim. So, Chris, uh, everyone's curious here. How is things progressing with your back surgery? Are you back uh, in rehab, and are you on the comeback trail? And be honest, I still don't know a lot yet. Uh, it's been six weeks, uh, or almost six weeks. I go back to the surgeon next uh, here on next Monday, and uh, I assume at that point I'll be released for physical therapy and rehab. And uh, uh, my own personal timeline, I'm thinking a couple of weeks, and then start throwing light balls, and then uh, be ready by January one. But uh, you know, I really won't know until we get into rehab and and start pushing things. Uh, this first six weeks, I'm supposed to be doing as little as possible and and letting it heal completely uh, first. So um, that's where I'm at. Around the tail end of that, I feel pretty good. But uh, like I said, I, I won't know a lot until once I get into rehab, I'll, I'll figure out where, where I'm starting from, and then I'll let you know a lot more about where the finish line is, how close I am to it. Yeah, so how hard or was it hard at all to make that decision to say, you know what, coming up, you know, fall seems to be when all the PBA events are. How hard was it to go and have surgery, you know, a, a month out from one event from the fall classic and then a couple months out from the World Series? Yeah, I didn't get a lot of choice. If it had been just pain, I would have waited, like you said, until uh, until springtime. But uh, I had a fragment uh, leaning on a nerve, and so I had no... I had no strength in my right leg, um, and so uh, uh, you know how it was explained to me is you know with that fragment leaning on there, 
that it was going to take the body a long time to dissolve that. That uh, you know, it might move around. I might. I had a thirty percent chance, give or take, of getting getting that strength back if I did nothing. But if it didn't, it would be that way from then on. And if I did surgery, then uh, they said within the six weeks you, you have a pretty a pretty high percentage of uh, regaining strength, you know, full strength back. And so uh, it just, you know, playing the percentages, uh, you know, 80, 80 versus 30. And so uh, I was still within that six-week window, and so I uh, uh, kind of felt like I had to do it. Um, besides uh, that when I went and bowled uh, with Team USA in Puerto Rico and they, and they hooked and I really had to push off that right leg, it became pretty obvious I wasn't I wasn't going to be competitive uh, as is anyway. So uh, I was going to be out one way or the other, and uh, and this gave me my best chance of of regaining all my tools back and uh, and being competitive in the near future. So you weren't able to work on your physical game, or you still aren't able to work on your physical game. That is, how are you able to work on your mental game? Are you watching? You know, do you watch the U.S. Open qualifying and watch where the guys, what the guys are doing, and think this is what I'd be doing? Or are you just trying to stay kind of away from everything bowling related as you can? Oh no, I watched the Weber Cup. Uh, you know, I hated to, to miss that event first time in ten years that uh, I hadn't been there. And then uh, Linda bowled the U.S. Open, and so I was I was over there and. And helping out a little bit with the 900 global guys, and uh, uh, you know, so I got to watch a little bit. Uh, and some parts of it was a, a little hard uh, how the lanes played, and and uh, you know, some of it actually fit into my skill set. Uh, it seemed like so, but the scores, you know, some guys really both good, and so you know, I'd like to think I could have been competitive, but could you have kept up with the leaders? Who knows. Yeah, talk about 900 Global. How is that? Um, how's that going for you guys? I know, with you not being able to, you know, you're able to work on more of the backside of things, which I think is what you were hoping to be doing anyway. So how how has that process been? Getting your head wrapped around the, you know, the core design and that sort of bowling and helping out with that. Well, I've always been a big numbers guy anyway. You know, I'm trying to find the answers and and uh, I'm kind of a research guy. So. Uh, BNR Nine Global has been been fantastic, uh, uh, and and a pretty f- big departure from where I was at. Where, you know, uh, my opinion, I was <laughs> I was literally told that uh, they didn't make them bowling balls for us. <laughs> so, um, you know, my my philosophy has always been: if if the guys that are the most versatile can't throw the bowling balls, then what is what is the the average ball that bowls a couple of leagues a week and throws it, you know, throws it good, but throws it basically one way, how are they going to make that ball work? <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we're, I do get to be involved a lot. The, so the philosophies of myself and Nick Cyphers, the head developer at, at Nine Global, is, are, are very much in tune. And so, you know, we're not trying to make one ball that's great for everyone. We're trying to make sure that everyone has at least one great ball from us in their bag. And uh, so we're back to covering the big range of equipment and, uh, you know, making sure you have something for the players that throw it slow, the speed-dominant players, the rev-dominant players, two-handers, uh, seniors, and then obviously that middle group that bowls league that, uh, you know, wants big asymmetrical balls and wants league balls and those kind of things. We're trying to 
make sure that there's a that we don't have so much overlap with that we, that you see so often in companies, and making sure that we have pieces that separate and and, uh, and really building a line that's that's great for not just tournament players, but for uh, all different styles of uh, uh, of league and recreational players too. Well, yeah, and at the PBA Team Challenge back at South Point, 900 Global Phoenix, third place finish with Michael Huggins Jr., Andrew Kane, you know Ben Caffield, and those guys. How good was it to see that and to see you know that, and I'll, obviously all of them were throwing 900 global equipment. How good was that to see some of the fruits of your labor? You know, get those guys a third place finish. Well, and, and it's a perfect example. Uh, you know, obviously they are a very talented team, but the, the skill sets were all over the board. You have Michael, who's a very accurate shot maker. Uh, you had a couple of two handers. You had left, hand, you know, high rate rev rate left handed player. You have Andrew Kane, who's who's a medium rev rate left handed player. Uh, a traditional right-hander in between. I mean, literally, you had five different styles, and we had balls that looked that looked good for all of them. And uh, not only that, but kept up with the best players in the world. So uh, uh, you can't do it with bowling balls alone. But by the same token, uh, you know, as bowlers, we can't do it all on ourselves either. Well, Chris, this is, November is uh, Diabetes Awareness Month. That's a, a thought that's very near and a cause that's very near and dear to your heart. So talk about what you guys are doing, you and Linda are doing, to help raise awareness for that. Well, and it is. And uh, actually, at uh, the boys' school today, uh, a young man is going in named Jake Byrne is coming in to, uh, to speak at, his, at their class. He's a, a, a diabetic, a type 1 diabetic, and uh, he was uh, tied in in the NFL for... For a few years with the Texans, uh, Chiefs and Chargers, I believe. And so that's one of the things uh, that we're doing. Um, they are going to have a fundraiser over at uh, at Plano Super Bowl here in Dallas uh, at the end of the month, a trios event that that will uh, raise some money for uh, for diabetes as well. And then uh, and then the usual, you know, social media and those kind of things. So. Uh, through a lot of different things, uh, we were we were post, had to postpone our uh, normal strikeout diabetes event with some some things going on at the center and remodeling and renovations and and uh, all the planning that goes into it. We we didn't know if the center was going to be done in time and and uh, it just didn't work out to move it. So uh, we'll be having that at a later date this year. So talk about what the uh, Junior Diabetes Research Foundation is able to do for families and how it's able to help because a lot of people like giving to causes, but they like to also know how their money is put into action and talk about how that is and how you guys have seen that happen firsthand. Well, and the reason we went with, with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation is because they had such a high percentage of dollars that come in go directly towards research. Uh, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's it's in the 85% range, you know, versus some very famous ones uh, like Susan G. Komen that that are below 50%, uh, I believe. So, uh, while and they're all great causes, some of them streamline their their overhead so much so much better, and that was one of the things that initially drew us to that. And what they do with that research money is kind of three-pronged. Uh, one is a cure, and then two, it, and there's two different types of lifestyle improvement type things where 
you have short-term things that make life easier, and then longer-term care type uh, type things that, to help stave off, you know, innovative ways to uh, to treat it that they can stave off some of the long-term complications. But uh, uh, there's some really exciting new things. Obviously, stem cell research. This is one of the areas that uh, where it really comes into play, and uh, and can really they're making some great advances. You never know exactly when it's going to come through. And then in the lifestyle improvement side, they have uh, some pumps and some things where uh, the technology is has advanced to where it talks to each other, and and uh, and while you may have to have an attachment on. Uh, there's possibility in a relatively short amount of time to where uh, it can be controlled uh, without so many finger pricks and and uh, the manage taking out some of the human elements of it and uh, and be able to manage it better on its own and uh, and really improve the, the blood sugar levels and keep them way close to a hundred where you and I would be and uh, and that in itself without those highs and the lows which uh, uh, they cause the long-term complications like blindness and and uh, amputations of of feet and limbs and and things like that. Final uh, topic I'd like to bring up, Chris, is the your coaching that you and Mark Baker are doing. How is that going? And it seems like every time you guys announce one of those, it's like the clinic just sells out like that. I mean, you have to get in early. How is that going for you guys? And uh, what can we expect coming up here as we end 2015 and move into 2016? Well, it's going very well. We haven't, uh, in, you know, uh, we haven't done uh, spent our resources in advertising, I guess, um, mostly because with my schedule, it hasn't really been. Uh, that's where the problem lies. Is basically between uh, two teenage boys playing sports and the bowling schedule. Uh, you know, I I wanted to make some time for family, and uh, and so. We haven't uh, done it as many of those clinics as we probably could. Uh, I guess depending on how this back injury ends up going, uh, uh, I fully intend to compete. But if it doesn't go well, I guess uh, we may get way better at uh, marketing our, our clinics and and be coaching a lot more. Uh, but uh, they are very good. We are doing a a, a three dayer, and and we are actually revamping our business model instead of doing kind of ten day two weekends with someone in the middle. We're trying to do uh, three and four days where you do a two-dayer on the weekend and then some one-dayers, you know, somewhere within five to six hours of that. And uh, and so we're, we're getting more interest. It makes it a little easier to plan. It's easier for us to get away uh, on both sides. And uh, and so we anticipate doing more, more of the two-man clinics uh, in this next year as well as obviously Mark has his uh, Camp Bakes, which, uh, well, it always sells out. So I think he's 30, 30 some in, and I'm not sure there's been any of them that haven't been sold out yet. So, uh, something that I'm sure you guys cover at the camps is equipment and what to bring where when you're bowling tournaments. I know that a lot was made that the U.S. Open did not release the pattern, and now the USBC starting in 2017 at the Open Championships, again, also not going to be releasing the pattern. What are your thoughts on that as far as, you know, should we should we know what we're, we're bowling on going in, or is it better to just say, you know what, you throw that first ball down the lane and you watch how it reads the pattern and make your adjustments from there? Well, you know, I mean, it's two different questions. You know, uh, 
I'm a, a fan of having the patterns out ahead of time and everybody be able to see. But by that same token, the only two things I'm really looking at is pattern and distance. <laughs> I'm sorry, link, you know, link the pattern and volume and uh, the pattern distance to the volume. So, uh, And even then, it doesn't actually change what I bring. Uh, I've gotten caught every time I've gotten too wrapped up in the pattern, especially going overseas. And, and very much, you know, you, exactly what I do in the clinics is I talk about how to, how to set up a six-ball arsenal that will cover you on 98% of what you're going to bowl on. And, uh, and it's not, a, you know, what people tend to do is they try and look at that pattern and they have four balls that they think are going to work on that pattern. Well, the pattern doesn't end up being exactly what you think it is due to surface, environment, whatever it is. Now you have four balls that don't look any good, and you're kind of trapped. And uh, I set up a system from covering the heaviest amount of oils you're going to see down to the lightest volumes, and where you have you have uh, one ball that should be best and a second ball that should be pretty good all the time, and uh, no matter what you bowl on. So uh, covers the bases and, and takes it toward layman basically isn't going to beat you. And then uh, the second half of my when we do our camps, we, our, our clinics, the two-day clinics especially, uh, the second presentation I do is taking that arsenal and then how to use it uh, to bowl on uh, on the sport patterns. And so uh, how to line up with them, the order, how the transition works, how, how and why the setup with that arsenal works. Well, and how much, I mean, you, we talk about, it sounds like six is, pretty much a standard that you should need for almost any tournament that you're bowling. But talk about how you can take, you know, the, the pads and adjust surface on the, on each of those bowling balls to give you a completely different look than what you had prior to that. Well, and that, that you can do, you can always fine tune, but basically what I do within these six balls is that you're only, you may take a ball from a thousand and make it 500, but you're not having to scramble and take a ball that's really good in league. That's 2000 or 3,000 and polish and having to take it into 1,000 and completely changing the surface to, to cover up basically not making, not making a choice <laughs> and, and not bringing a ball that was close to begin with. And you can always fine-tune with that. That's certainly the easiest way to change. Ball reaction is with, uh, you know, the Avalon pads or, or sand, you know, there's an, a lot of different ways. Avalon, though, is, is pretty much the prevalent method these days uh, uh yeah i always carry pads with me either refresh the surfaces or or to fine tune as necessary uh but lots of what i do is is getting it to where the, you have balls that are pretty close to begin with and you're just fine tuning not not making desperation moves and changing balls by you know three or four pads you know have to go from 3,000 to 500 to get a ball in play and before we go, Chris, I have to remind folks, check out BowlingThisMonth.com, the world's most trusted technical resource for over 20-plus years. Subscribe there. Money-back guarantee, $37.95 a year. Instant access. Got great reviews, great articles up now. Talking about uh, physical game errors, and, and the one they're highlighting is one that I know a lot of folks have problems with this month, the push-away. Got ball reviews on all the latest equipment coming out. Right now, I'm seeing articles up on the website by Dr. Dean Hinnitz, a friend of the Above180.com podcast, and also Joe Slowinski, who we've had on as well. So great articles there on coaching and the mental side of things. You want to 
work on your physical game, work on your physical, uh, just your physical overall health. Heather Dierko is a, a great and talented writer for the staff at BowlingThisMonth.com. Again, check them out. All sorts of great information. Everything on the website, BowlingThisMonth.com. Well, Chris, all the best of, uh, of luck and continued you know, uh, healing and rehabbing and hopefully get some good news. And we will uh, we'll look to see you down the line here. Well, great, Tim. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, I am I am ready. I am going stir crazy here, waiting to uh, to be able to get back out there and bowl again. So, having the U.S. Open here in my backyard, uh, like like you said, it was uh, it was hard to watch a little bit. I would have liked to have been out there and and uh, and trying to compete with the best in the world. <laughs>